The global health agenda now includes improving the delivery of surgical and non-communicable disease services in low- and lower-middle-income countries. Renewed calls to implement and extend universal health coverage in these settings have also raised the issue of quality improvement. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Ruma Raj Bandari, an instructor at Harvard Medical School and associate physician in the Division of Global Health Equity at Brigham and Women's Hospital. Dr. Raj Bandari has co-authored a perspective article about the role of district hospitals in advancing emerging surgery, non-communicable disease, and quality agendas in global health. Dr. Raj Bandari, what's the current role of district hospitals in low- and lower-middle-income countries? What kinds of conditions do they treat? How involved are they in training health workers, public health surveillance? What exactly do they do? So district hospitals in low- and lower-middle-income countries are typically about 50 to 100-bed hospitals. They serve approximately 100,000 to a million people, depending upon the country you're in and the geography that the hospital is located in. And typically, they should, according to the World Health Organization, have the capacity to carry out primary care as well as emergency care, including obstetrics, some general surgery, orthopedic surgery. They should have the capability of doing some basic imaging like x-rays and also have some laboratory facilities. So they would be, I guess, if you were to compare to a hospital in the United States, sort of a community hospital. You say in your perspective article that the district hospital has been neglected by the global health community. What does that look like? What do you mean by that? So when I say neglect, I'm really talking about the very basics. They are certainly very much neglected in the sense of basic funding and resources. And when I talk about the basics, I'm thinking of running water, electricity, gloves, the very basic things that you would expect at a hospital. For example, where I do most of my global health work in Nepal, over 15% of district hospitals, these are government district hospitals, don't have running water. 20% don't have electricity, over 55% don't have gloves, and about 30% can't provide oxygen to patients who need them. And if you look at other slightly more advanced things like blood transfusion and ability to do a C-section, the numbers get even worse. We've looked at data from the service provision assessment surveys of the demographic and health survey program that's carried out in low- and low-middle-income countries. And the state of many hospitals in low- and lower-middle-income countries is very similar to this. You know, they're in the same predicament in Malawi and Bangladesh and other low- and lower-middle-income countries. So what happens when patients need treatment that's not available at these district hospitals? How difficult is it to get either more advanced care or care that actually involves some of that infrastructure that's lacking in the district hospitals? So in many of these communities, a lot of these district hospitals are located in very rural, remote areas of the country. And in many places, this is the only option that patients have. So it means that when they go to these hospitals and they don't have the resources, they really don't have many other options, particularly for the poorest of the poor. There are countries where there is a burgeoning private sector as well, particularly in slightly more urban or peri-urban areas. So people do go towards private sector facilities in these countries. Uh, If you look at a place like India, there's certainly a huge burgeoning private sector that may have a slightly more advanced care for the people who can afford it. And largely, these are out-of-pocket costs uh, for patients. So there are certain alternatives, but to a large majority of the population, this level of care is inaccessible. You also say in your article that over the next 20 years, the burden of cancer, cardiovascular disease, and road traffic injuries is going to surpass the burden of communicable diseases in these low- and and lower-middle-income countries. 
What role can district hospitals play in the treatment of non-communicable disease? So certainly, I think as we are beginning to see this emerging trend of non-communicable diseases, I think district hospitals will have to play a major role. Um, You know, back when communicable diseases were the leading cause of death and disability, you could say, okay, well, maybe we just need to deal with sanitation issues. Maybe we just need to deal with basic things that can be provided in a non-hospital setting. But when you start to think about non-communicable diseases, for example, patients with hypertension or diabetes, sure, some of the care can be managed in non-hospital settings by community health workers, for example. But if there is an acute issue or a chronic issue, those patients will have to be transferred to a slightly higher level of care. You know, an insulin-dependent diabetic, a hypertensive having a crisis, a person who might need care for COPD, may need supplemental oxygen. There are levels that go beyond community-based interventions and do require hospital-based interventions. You know, I'm not talking about PET scanners for cancer care. I'm talking about just the basics of caring for very simple diseases. So finally, to get to the bottom line, what kind of investment is needed to strengthen these district hospitals and where might that investment come from? So I think that there has to be some level of importance given to hospital-based care. I think that over the last several decades, the global health community has focused, and and rightly so, I think, on primary care, on community-based care. But I think as we see these epidemiological transitions, it's very important to start to now focus a little bit on hospital-based care as well. Certainly, cost-effectiveness is a huge issue that comes up in any type of global health conversation. And I would make the argument that a lot of care at district hospitals is actually quite cost-effective. For example, if you look at surgeries, uh, you know, these are sort of basic surgeries like C-sections or the ability to manage an open fracture repair. If you look at cost-effectiveness studies, uh, for example, there was one study done in Zambia that showed that the cost per dally for essential surgeries like this at district hospitals was approximately $10 per dally. And when you compare that to other global health interventions, for example, ART therapy for HIV, that number is actually $350 to $500 per dally. Or even bed nets for malaria are priced at $14 per dally. So there is, you know, in terms of cost effectiveness too, there is an argument to invest in district hospitals. So you would argue for this, at least in great part, as being a part of the global health response as opposed to coming out of national budgets or, as you say, in the case of India, perhaps from private investment. Uh, Well, I think that a lot of times national investments are driven by external development partners, particularly for these low and lower middle income countries where probably up to 50% of the health budget comes from external development partners. And a lot of times the funding is driven by these external development partners. And what we see is that a lot of this funding tends to be very vertically focused, meaning very disease-specific, like the Global Fund for TB, AIDS, Malaria focuses on those three diseases. And there isn't much funding for overall health system strengthening where the budget for these district hospitals would fall. So I I think that there has to be a concerted effort by the global health community, by external development partners, as well as by national health spending budgets. Thank you, Dr. Raj Bhandari.